Hi, this is Liz Southern with the Braille Institute, and tonight's topic is how to stimulate the development of vision. The Dr. Bill Telephone Series is an educational program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. Take it away, Dr. Bill. Oh, thank you very, very much, Liz. And I want to thank all of you who are joining in this evening. This is something that I really look forward to, and it's a great way that I get to meet a lot of new parents who have children with vision problems, and we also get to meet a lot of the teachers for the visually impaired who work with children. Uh, so this evening... We're going to talk about this subject, which is called vision development. And I remember when I was in school and I first heard this, I was really surprised because I did not think that vision was a developed skill. I thought that when a baby was born, the eyes were there, and if the eyes were working, then the baby sees just like an adult. But what our professors explained to us was all of the research that demonstrated how it is that children at different ages have different levels of vision. For example, at birth, a child could really only see black and white. They can't see colors. And so many times when a newborn comes home and the parents have all of these different colored toys, in reality, the child sees all of those different toys just in black and white. But as the child grows older, they then begin to develop the ability to see red, and then blue, and then green. But it really isn't until two to three years of age that a child would have fully normal color vision. So that was really, really interesting to me. And it made me understand that any time that a child may have any particular type of vision problem, it is still very important to work and develop all of those different types of visual skills. Another thing that was really very interesting to me was that at birth, a child can really only focus at a distance between 8 to 16 inches. A child cannot see across the room, and this 8 to 16 inches of focal distance is really meant so that the child could bond with his or her mother and that they could make eye contact with a mother at that type of distance. And it isn't until a child grows much older that a child could see further away. So. We then have to think about the fact that vision is truly a developed skill. Now, what about children who suffer from different types of eye problems? There are many children who are born with diseases to the eyes. Some kids might have what is called a cataract, and that is where the lens that is inside the eye, it's a little bit clouded. And for these particular types of children, 
it's even more important that we do different types of exercises that encourage the baby to use his or her vision. Because if we do not make the toys or the environment easily seen, the child will probably not use his or her vision. The child doesn't know that he or she is supposed to use vision. And if he opens his eyes and everything is very blurry or very cloudy, it wouldn't look very stimulating so that these kids may keep their eyes closed or they may suck on their fingers or they may babble and make sounds or they might listen to everything around them. And when they don't use their vision that way, their vision wouldn't develop. So if a child has any particular type of visual problem, it is even more important that we stimulate their environment to make it easier for them to be able to see. Now, how is it that we know that vision is developing? How is it that we could determine that? Well, the first thing is that Eye doctors have the ability to perform specialized tests, and the eye doctors who are pediatric specialists, we are able to measure many different visual skills of a child, even if the child cannot speak. People often wonder, how can you examine these kids if they can't answer? I mean, do you really try to ask them to read the letters on the wall? Or do you ask them to tell you what colors that they see? They can't do that. And we also see that there's other children, many kids nowadays who are older, six, seven, eight-year-old kids, they may have speech disorder or they may have autism and they can't express themselves. And we as pediatric eye doctors, we do have specialized tests where we measure all of these different visual skills. And when we measure it at birth and then at six months and then at 12 months, we can actually see if any of these visual skills are improving and are developing. And from all the kids that have been tested throughout the years, we do know for certain that vision is a developed skill. Now, before we go into how it is that you could perform activities to stimulate the development of your child's vision, I want to review just very quickly the basic structures of the eye. And this is important to know because it may be that your child or the child that you work with has a problem to one of these tissues. Now, when you look at a baby, the first thing that we'll look at are the eyelids. There are upper and lower eyelids. And if you watch the baby carefully, you will then notice that the baby will blink. In some cases, you may find that a child does not blink normally. They may only blink halfway. And when a child only blinks halfway, what that does is it causes the front of the eye to become dry because blinking spreads tears all across the eye. 
So for these kids who don't blink all the way, they sometimes are very, very sensitive to bright light. So if we take them outdoors, they may close their eyes. Or if we work there with them and they're facing the windows, they may close their eyes. When you see the baby closing the eyes, it usually means that it's too bright for that child. So you want to reduce the lighting in the home. Or you want to turn the child such that the child's back is facing the bright windows and doors. The next structure of the eye to look at is you then want to look at the very front tissue of the eye. Now, when you look straight on at a child, you will first usually notice that the child has colored eyes. They may have brown eyes or blue eyes or green eyes. And that part of the eye that you're able to see is called the iris. And the iris is a colorful tissue. And in the very center of the iris, there's a black circle. And that black circle is called the pupil. Now, actually, that black circle is a hole, similar to a hole in the keyhole of a lock. And that is where light will enter the child's eyes through the pupil and that is how the eyes are then able to see. Now, in some cases, the pupil may be very, very tiny. And if it's very tiny, it makes it more difficult for the child to see. In some cases, if you look at a child's eye, you may notice that the pupil is extremely large. It is so large that you barely see any colored part of the eye. That is actually a condition called aniridia. And aniridia is when the iris is not fully developed. So for these kids, if the pupil is too large because of aniridia, these kids are very, very sensitive to the light. So the normal size of a pupil should be about the same size at the diameter of a pencil eraser, the eraser on the back of a pencil. And what that pupil will do is it will open wider in the darkness and it will get smaller in the brightness. And that helps to control how much light gets in the eye and it helps the child to adjust to different lighting conditions. Now, just behind the iris and just behind the pupil is something that is called the lens. Now, this is a lens just like the lens of a pair of glasses. And when you look at the child, you look at the baby, you cannot see the lens in most cases. The reason for it is because the lens is perfectly transparent. It is clear. And what that lens does is it changes its shape so that we could focus on objects at different distances. So, like I said before, right at birth, the lens is focused at 8 to 16 inches to see mom's face. But as a child grows older, the lens is able to change its shape, and it could then focus across the room, or later across the street, 
And then when the child is even older yet, ready to go to school, that lens is able to change its shape very quickly, and that's what allows a child to focus on the chalkboard and then on his notebook when he's writing. So it could focus back and forth very quickly. Now, the situations in which you might be able to see that lens is if there is something called a cataract. And a cataract is when the lens itself is clouded, or it might be yellowish or white. And you might look at the pupil of this child's eyes. You might say, wow, the, the pupil of this kid's eyes, they're not white. They're a little bit gray or a little bit white or... I, I see it's discolored. And another thing that you may notice, too, is that you may notice the situation if you're taking a photograph of a baby. And you ever notice how when you take a picture that you will notice that the pupils of the eyes are orange in color? Well, the reason that they're orange in color is that the light from the flash of your camera, it goes through the pupil and it goes through the lens, and the lens will then focus the light rays onto the tissue that's inside the eye, that lines the inside of the entire eyeball. And that tissue is called the retina. You could think of the retina almost like being wallpaper that you put all in the inside of the eyeball itself. And the retina is the very important tissue that is able to focus the light rays that are focused on it and it converts it into electrical signals and it then sends it to the brain. So in other words, the cells of the retina are what are really responsible for one to be able to see. Now, the color of the retina itself is orangish color. So if you take a photograph like we were just talking about, the light from the flash of your camera will bounce into the eye and it will bounce off the retina and bounce back through the pupil. And that is why you'll see that in some photographs, a baby's eyes are orange. If you see a picture and in all the pictures where there is that kind of reflex, that maybe in one eye, there isn't that orange reflex. Or it looks like it's dirty, the reflex. There's areas that look brownish or muddled. That is because the lens of the eye itself is a cataract. The light isn't going through the lens and bouncing back normally. So this is again when the cataract would then be removed, and this would allow a child to be able to see very, very clearly again when the child would be fit with glasses. Now, you might ask the question, I heard that adults who have cataracts, the doctors will put an artificial lens inside the eye. And why don't they do that with babies? Would it be possible for the ophthalmologist to remove the cataract and to put in an artificial lens implant into the baby's eye? And the answer to that is yes. The ophthalmologist can do that. 
But the reason that we don't do that is because every year of life, the child's eye is changing size. And so the size and the power of the lens that is put into the eye would then need to be changed every year. And it is too risky to do that many surgeries and open up the eye. So usually if a child does have a cataract, we will fit the child with a contact lens or glasses. And when the child is then 18 or 21 years old, that is then when we will then put an implant in. So this is another example how the eye is developing, and it is developing in size. Now let's go back to the retina. We just learned that the light rays from anything we see in the environment, it actually focuses on the retina. Now there are two locations of the retina. The very, very center region of the retina is called the macula. M-A-C-U-L-A. And the macula is made up of cone cells, and these cone cells, they have the ability to see small details. They also have the ability to see color, and they also are very good at seeing when there's bright light. But the interesting thing is that the cells of the macula these cone cells, they are developing, especially during the first three years of life. So when we measure what is the clarity of sight that a newborn can see, we know that a newborn actually doesn't see very clearly. And the reason for that is because the macular's cone cells are not developed. We also know that the cone cells see colors. And if those cells are not developed at birth, the child will not see real well if we're using different colors. And we also know that those macular cone cells allow us to see under very bright light. And this is why if we have a baby and we take them into bright sunlight, they often will close their eyes because it's too bright. But as time proceeds, these cells, the cone cells in the macula, they develop and they mature. And usually by the time that a child is three years of age, they could see very clearly at distance of 50 feet away. And they could see very clearly when things are up close. And they could see colors very, very well. But in contrast, a newborn baby sees primarily black and white and could only focus at a distance of 8 to 16 inches. So this shows us also another example of how even the cells of the retina are developing. Now, the remaining area of the retina that is surrounding the center of the retina, this is made up of what are called rod cells, R-O-D, rod cells. And the rod cells are very, very good at seeing under dim light. 
They give us our night vision that allows you to see well enough to walk at night. And the rod cells are also very sensitive at seeing motion and movement. So this is why you might be concentrating and looking at a book and reading where your central vision is focused on those words. And then suddenly you see something moving through the side and you realize it's a puppy dog walking near you. And your peripheral vision is able to see the motion of the dog. And then you turn your eyes so that your central vision is on the dog. And then you could identify what kind of dog it is. So the central vision is the baby's identification vision. And the peripheral vision is really the awareness type of vision. And so we see that in some cases, there are children who are born with different types of diseases to the retina. And when we find out what type of disease of the retina that the child may have, we then may understand what type of visual weakness the child may have. For example, one type of eye disease that is inherited in many cases is called retinitis pigmentosa. And this is something that affects the rod cells of the retina. So children who have retinitis pigmentosa, they don't have the rod cells that work well. So they often don't have peripheral vision. They cannot see well at night. They don't see things moving in their side vision. And their vision is very similar to looking through a straw because they only have their central vision. These are the kids that we know are going to probably not want to crawl. They may not want to walk because they don't see where they're going and they bump into things all the time. So we need to help them, to encourage them, to gain the confidence to stand and to walk. Another example of a condition of the retina that helps us to understand what is wrong with them is some children may have what is called albinism. You may have seen an albino, a person who has very pale skin and their hair is very pale, blonde. There's no color to their eyes, their hair, and their skin. Well, these people who do have albinism, the macula cone cells do not work. So if the macula cone cells don't work, they do not have the ability to see details. They don't have the ability to see colors. And they don't have the ability to see real well under very bright lighting. So these are people that they will need to wear sunglasses when they're outdoors because they can't see well under bright light. These are the people who may not be able to see the small details in a book. And we may then need to refer them to a optometrist who does low vision 
who can make specialized glasses that will magnify things so that the rod cells can read these letters and numbers. Okay? So that is the function of the retina, which is very, very important. Okay. Each cell in the retina, and we're talking about millions and millions and millions of cells, each cell of the retina has a fiber that is attached to it. And then these fibers, they all clump together and they create one nerve that is about the same diameter as a pencil. And this creates what is known as the optic nerve. Now the optic nerve then travels all the way through the middle of the brain and it then connects at the very back of the brain. And this is a region of the brain that is called the occipital lobe of the brain. So if you place your hand on the back of your head, the area that your hand is touching, that very large region, all of that surface there, that is the occipital lobe of the brain. This is very significant, as you can tell. Why is it that such a large portion of the brain is involved in the process of vision? While the reason for it is that vision is truly a dominant sense. It gives us so much information of what is around us. It helps us to locate things. It helps us to see if a predator is after us. It helps us to identify food or other items. So the occipital lobe of the brain is very, very important as it relates to our ability to see things. Now, the next region of the brain is the region of the brain that goes from your left ear over the top of your head to your right ear. Just like if you were wearing the old-fashioned headphones to listen to music, the headphone, it goes over the top of your head, and that region that it touches, that is called the parietal lobe of the brain. And the parietal lobe of the brain is very, very important because that is where so much of our sensory input comes in. That is where if you step on a nail, that region of the brain is going to feel that the nail actually hit your foot. But we also know that the parietal lobe of the brain, if we go a little bit more forward, which is called the anterior parietal area, that is also the region of the brain that controls a lot of the movement, the motor of the parts of your body. So very often what happens is that when we see things, the information reaches the occipital lobe of the brain, and the occipital lobe of the brain talks to the parietal of the brain and tells the body to move. Now, the next region of the brain that is very important to understand is 
right behind your forehead. And that is called the frontal lobe of the brain. And the frontal lobe of the brain is where your high-level thinking occurs. When you're making decisions, you're trying to solve problems. The frontal lobe of the brain is very, very important. But we also know that the frontal lobe of the brain is the region of the brain that tells the eyes where to move. Let's say that you're reading a book and you want to move your eyes from one word to the next. Well, it is the frontal lobe of the brain that controls the eyes moving from left to right across the page. Now, there are certain situations where a child may have seizures, and these seizures are caused by abnormal function of that frontal lobe of the brain. Well, these kids may have difficulty moving their eyes in a reading pattern or accurately from one place to another. And so these are the kids that we want to work with them and play games that will help them to develop more accurate eye movements for reading. So if we do this when they're two and three and four years old, they're then going to have the eye movement skills necessary to read when they then are in kindergarten. But if we don't do these exercises early on in their life, and let's say that this child now goes to kindergarten, and the teacher says, you know what, she can't keep her place when she's reading, and we start doing the exercises and things then, the child may not develop the ability to move the eyes for reading until the child is eight. And now the child is way behind. And when a child is behind in reading, it affects her self-esteem. So this is why it's very important that we understand all of these regions of the brain and the eye problems itself. Now, another part of the brain is called the temporal lobes of the brain. And these are near your temples. It's there on the left and the right sides of the brain. And this is very important for memory. It helps us to remember faces. It helps us to remember words that we have seen. It helps us to remember musical melodies. And so it's very important that we also understand how this type of information of remembering what we see is going to then be associated with this other part of the brain. So overall, this is a very, very simplistic version of what happens there in the brain. But you can now see that the brain is involved in vision in every single part of the brain. In other words, the visual cortex in the occipital lobe that first sees it, it sends signals to all of these other areas of the brain. And that is how we could remember things. That is how we move the eyes. That is how we're able to read and understand or recognize faces. So all parts of the brain are involved when it comes down to using vision. It is not 
only the occipital lobe, but it's all of these other lobes itself. So, what do we now know about the brain itself? What we know from the research is that the brain itself is developing for most years of our life. Even when you're older than 21 years old, you could be as old as me, I'm 57, and there may be something that I learn or a new song that I hear that I like. But when you have an experience and you learn something new, it actually is the brain creating new connections. So when a child is born, the brain hasn't received many experiences. When the child was in the womb, the child didn't see a thing. But as soon as the child is born and the eyes are open and the child is beginning to see certain things, the brain starts firing and making all of these different types of connections. And there are neurons that synapse together. And all of these types of connections are what enables the brain to develop. So the brain is also developing, and the development of the brain correlates with the development of vision. So the more information that we can show a child is going to help the brain and the visual centers of the brain to develop. There was a very, very important research study that I want you to remember, and this is something that may help the parents that you're working with to understand this concept of vision development and how the development of vision also affects the brain as well. There were a couple of doctors, very famous researchers, named Hubel and Weasel. And these doctors actually won the most prestigious scientific prize called the Nobel Prize for their research. But they were very interested in vision and the development of vision. And what they did is that they used cats because cats, their eyes look quite similar to that of humans. They're about the same size. So they took two groups of kittens And these were newborn kittens. One group of kittens, they put them in a room that was very visually stimulating. There were toys, there were colors, there were lights, there were all sorts of things that would enable the kitten to see. Now, the other group of kittens, they actually sewed or sutured their eyelids shut so that the kittens could not get any light into their eyes and they kept them in a dark room. And six weeks later, they measured the vision of both kittens. The group of kittens that were raised in a very visually stimulating environment with the bright lights and the colorful toys and all of those patterns, these kittens had excellent vision. They had perfect vision where they were able to see. But the kittens who had their eyes sutured shut, when they opened their eyes and measured their vision, these kittens were totally blind. They could not see. So from this first part of their study, 
they realize that if a kitten doesn't receive lights and colors and patterns, then they do not develop normal vision. And so they then wanted to find out, what if we take these blind kittens now and we now put them in the room that has the colored patterns and the stripes and the checkerboards and the lights? Is it possible that we could develop their vision? And what they found was that those kittens that were then exposed to that visually stimulating environment, their vision did develop. It was amazing that these kittens who were once totally blind developed vision and it was only because of the way that they stimulated the visual regions of the brain. So from this study, they learned that the environment that a child grows up in, it is going to stimulate all of these different regions of the brain which helps to promote the development of vision. And so these are the things that we want to teach the parents and the teachers who work with children who have low vision. We want you to use different types of light, different colors, different patterns, we might use things that just look like a bunch of dots. We'll use checkerboards where it's black and red squares of a checkerboard. We could use different types of patterns that are on wrapping paper. We could use all of these types of things and we could present it in front of the child with low vision. And we could then move these toys and these patterns in different areas. And we could begin to develop their ability to move their eyes better so that they could follow. We could put different toys out and the child will then learn how to move the eyes from left to right, like in a reading pattern. We could tease a child by putting a ball just beyond his or her hands and fingers. Let the child feel it for a second, then move it a little further away, and that will then encourage the child to reach a little further so the child could then grab it. We will attach a ball from the ceiling on a string so that the ball swings back and forth, and the child will then learn to catch it and let go, and catch it and let go. And this is how the child could develop depth perception. So there are many, many different types of activities that we will teach the mother and the teachers how to do. And you might then say, well, is there just a book that I could buy? There are books that talk about visual stimulation and creating a visually stimulating environment. But one of the best resources is going to be your Infant specialists, such as those from the Braille Institute, we're talking to the school if they have a teacher for the visually impaired. They will have information for you. But the very first thing that you really need to do, though, for your child 
is you do need to have your child as young as one month old. Your child must have a vision examination by a low vision doctor. And the reason for this is the doctor will be able to tell you what distance is your child able to see best. Is your child able to see things better if you put it on the right side or the left side or maybe in the upper field or the lower field of gaze? The doctor will be able to tell you what colors would be most visually stimulating, how much lighting. We know that lighting is important, but we don't want to use too much and we don't want to use too little lighting. But we want to find out all of this kind of information. The other thing is that even if your child has problems with his or her eyes, or maybe your child has cortical vision impairment, where the visual region of the brain requires stimulation, the doctor may prescribe glasses that could improve the vision. They may even use tinted colored lenses to improve the vision. And by getting all of this information and making certain that the doctor writes a written report, you will then now know exactly what to do. If you do it on your own, you might actually use blue toys when the child cannot see blue, but the child actually sees red better. Or you might be placing things at a distance of 8 to 16 inches and your child may not be able to see at that distance. Maybe your child sees better at 3 feet away. So there's many different components that we need to consider and the eye doctor can do that for you. So we do encourage this form of vision stimulation because it will promote the development of vision. Okay, at this time we have a few minutes, and if any of you have any questions, you could unmute your phone by pressing pound six, and we will have this audio recording available. So if you'd like to listen to it again or share it with another family, you'll be able to do that. Simply go to www.airsla, that's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. And it will also be available at the Braille Institute website, www.brailleinstitute.org. So uh, does anybody have any questions? Okay, great. Well, that is wonderful. I hope that you all understand this. And I also want to make myself available that if you have any questions, please feel free. You could email me, and my email address is drbillfoundation, D-R-B-I-L-L foundation, at gmail.com. Or you could call me. And my phone number is 310-597-2549.
That is 310-597-2549. Now, next month, we're going to be repeating this lecture, but it will be by Ms. Yolanda Moreno, who is the founder of Multiple Disabilities, an amazing organization that works with children with low vision and other difficulties. But she will be giving this presentation in Spanish because we have so many families who speak Spanish. And then in the following month, I will then talk about lighting. What do we mean about the specific types of lighting? So we have a nice schedule set up for all of you for the remainder of this year and next year as well. So thank you again for joining us this evening, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night, everybody.